Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Forest Spirituality with me Julie Brett. Uh, today I've got an interview with Ema Burke who I was calling over the internet. Um, she's in Ireland and she's going to be the next chosen chief of the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids and will be taking on that role in 2020. Um, and it was lovely to talk to her because I was lucky enough to meet her when I was in New Zealand um, just recently in January and um, we had a great time uh, finding out about the landscape there and learning about the ways that they do things in New Zealand. Uh, it was a really fascinating trip with just so much happening. It was, um, it was overwhelming. It was incredible. Um, we learned so much about the trees there and the animals and the birds, the uh, the medicines that they had and find like being being shown around this beautiful landscape but not just on the on the site that we were staying at but also um, at the wool shed where um, Pamela uh, hosts the Grove of the Summer Stars and their, their little grove spaces and other sacred things like a mother tree and a well dedicated to Bridget and a beautiful labyrinth that we were able to walk it was a really incredible journey and um, it was really lovely to meet all of the New Zealanders there and to learn about how they do things um, and to have them introduce us to that land that was so special to them. Uh, there was a lot of Maori words used often in uh, the, the gathering rituals and chants in Maori words and stories told around the, the bardic circles that were um, Maori stories and uh, we learn about different place names and their meanings and and all kinds of things. It was really quite fascinating. So so this this trip really made me feel quite passionate about um, that that con that integration of culture that they have there in New Zealand um, and and the way that that comes into their druidry. And um, meeting Ema, she was so passionate about the Irish language and about Irish storytelling, and um, you know having that that side of druidry be very strong with her. Uh, it was really interesting, and I'm I'm fascinated with the adaptation of um, Druidry practices into different parts of the world. Uh, loving Australian Druidry, and and how we um, make sense of that here, and to see uh, this sort of melting pot of people coming together with fascinating ideas about how to do that was was really very interesting. Very, uh, I learned so much. So um, I hope you enjoy listening to me and Ema have a bit of a discussion about that and also um, about uh, what it's been like for her to be, you know, moving into this role um, next year and uh, that, how that's been for her. So, yeah, it was, it was lovely to have a chat with her and I hope you enjoy it. Hi everybody, I've got Ema Burke here. She's going to be the next chosen chief of OBOD. And um, I had the pleasure of meeting her along with Philip Cargom and Stephanie Cargom at Shaboda, the uh, New Zealand Southern Hemisphere Obot Assembly um, recently in January. And um, I've got her here to have a chat about what that was like. So, yeah, can you, can you tell us what that experience was like for you? Well, it was a very interesting experience because it was the first time I'd ever been down in the Southern Hemisphere. Wonderful. And um, being in New Zealand was lovely because the, the climate is so forgiving. I'm a temperate climate lover. And uh, it was very much like our own, our own climate 
And um, I suppose the, the gathering itself, I was really, really impressed with how um, the New Zealanders had integrated so much of, I suppose, Maori culture, Maori ritual into their druidry. And um, I was really taken with the porphyry that, that Maori welcome at the beginning. And how somehow they've managed to engage with their own landscape and be part of it and bring about a synthesis of, I suppose, uh, druidry essentially comes from the Northern Hemisphere, and to weave that in and create a beautiful tapestry uh, with Maori and what's in their own land. You know, I still remember the, you know, the Putakawa tree and the animals and the birds. It was just absolutely fascinating how they do that and do it with um, such ease. Yes, I agree with you. That was really um, striking to me as well. I absolutely adored it. Um, yeah, the all the, the hongi where you press the noses together at the beginning was so moving and the way that um, the Maori words and language was used over and over again in the in the rituals and, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah. And that hongi that you mentioned, that isn't just about touching noses, it's about sharing breath. And I just mm. thought, wow. You know, we breathe together. We, I mean, sharing breath is a very intimate thing, but it's it's like a very, um, it's a real demonstration of trust. Yeah. When you do a hummy with somebody, yeah. or with a visitor, I was just well for that. Absolutely, it was really um, quite intense. I think, but yeah, really, mm-hmm. yeah, I was so overwhelmed by the whole experience. It was amazing. Um, yeah, so have you got plans to go to other places as well or was that sort of your, your big one for the year or are you? No, no, I'm, well, I, I was just back, I'm just back from, we, I was at the Druid Gorset in Norwich this weekend, uh, in, in, not in Norwich, Norfolk, and uh, that was absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to the Gulf Coast Gathering in New Orleans uh, on the 20th of March of this oh. month. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that'll so, be different I've, again. It, it, indeed, and I've, I've, I mean, well, I've been to the US before. I've never been to New Orleans, so yeah. that'll be a very, very interesting experience. And to see how, um, I suppose, American old bodies, how they engage with their landscape. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be really interesting to see that. And then um, the next gathering I'm going to will, will obviously be the one in Glastonbury in June, uh, and then the German one in for midsummer. Right. So. And then in Italy, I've been going, this will be my third trip to Italy for the Obad seminar there. Yeah. So, so far, the. (laughs) Oh, sorry, sorry. It's a bit of a time lag. It's a bit annoying. Um, I was going to say, do you you think that there would be the same kind of um, like diversity of that, that connection with the different landscape when you go to somewhere like New Orleans or Italy or Germany? Is that as diverse or is that like because they share a lot of like the trees and things? Do they, do they, like, because here in Australia and in New Zealand, it's so incredibly different, the landscape and the stories that are, you know, native to the area that, you know, there's, that's, that's a really sort of um, significant change to bring in. But, but is, is there that same diversity if you go to somewhere like Italy or Germany or, or the US? Oh, yeah, I, I have never been to Germany, but I've been to Italy and, uh, one of, I stay with one friend, Marcus, and he lives in, in, in Arezzo in Tuscany. And I can recognise the trees. Um, okay, the ash tree is slightly different. Uh, there are different oaks because we have 
two species of oak in Ireland. Yeah. But it, so there's a huge amount of similarity. Okay, things come into season a little bit earlier. And it's interesting, he often tells me that, you know, we, we celebrate the harvest, you know, mid-September. He doesn't harvest his olives until November. Yeah. So th- there's there's that difference. Um, ar- around w- when we follow, I suppose, an agricultural wheel, mm. we're doing it at times. And even though he is northern hemisphere, he doesn't harvest his, uh, mm. because that's what he does. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't grow. So, um, so I think there's there's that little bit. But I I was really struck with the contrast in the southern hemisphere. Mm. And then when my conversations with you, for example, and um, the struggles with it in, in Australia to make it your own without appropriating and I suppose walking a path and finding a way of making the land yours without stealing it, that kind of thing, because yeah. it is your land. Yeah, it's really, and, it's not like we've got the Treaty of Waitangi that they have in New Zealand where that's been offered, you know, and, and uh, you know, the the increase of the use of those words and stories and, and everything is really celebrated and, and given to anyone and everybody has the right to do it. Here it's a little bit sort of... Uh, I mean, there, there is still encouragement to share certain stories and to learn language and, um, you know, have respect. And, and um, like I've been doing a beautiful thing lately where I've been going and learning Aboriginal dance with a with an Aboriginal dance teacher, which has been fantastic. So, you know, there's, there's little things that, you know, like people are offering that are an amazing um, sharing. But, but then I, I couldn't go and teach Aboriginal dance, you know, like, like there's certain... Things that you're like, oh no, that's that's just theirs, and and that's, yeah, it's a totally different situation. So, yeah. I, I think well, it's interesting because when we like Moira and um, Joanna, they contact, they communicated with their elders first. They checked out everything with them. What can we do with the gathering and for the porphyry? Yeah. So they had the blessing of their elders in their in their um, in their community. And maybe there is a way, for example, at some point in the future that either you bring that Aboriginal dance teacher to a group yeah. or you get permission in some way that you earn the right to, as in that you're proficient enough at it, we say, or you earn your stripe, as most people do when they learn something, then you have to mm. become to a certain level, whatever that those standards are, to become a teacher. And it may happen. Yeah. And I suppose the more living people do and the more reaching out people do to the Indigenous of their own country, and that, again, is forging relationships. Absolutely. And it's also, I think, open channels of um, similarity. One thing that's always struck me, because I've worked a lot in Africa and I've lived there, and I, I work in a, in a transcultural situation where people from you know, there's a melting pot of different cultures. Mm. And what's been really for me is actually when you focus on similarities, then differences become interesting rather than um, buts or obstacles. They are moments for fascination and for curiosity and sharing those. But the common thread, that similarity, and you find the threads and the themes of people's lives are the same. You know, if yeah. um, the colours and the textures are different, and when people can realise, actually, you're not, you and I are of a different colour, a different faith, different culture, but you know, we have so much in common. Mm. That then 
establishes a bond and then that allows doorways to open to start real sharing, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big job and a long job. And when there's been so much pain and you're going back generations of pain. Um, and I mean, in Ireland here, you know, I mean, I'm going to be the head of an order that's based in, in, in Britain. And these have been, you know, there are a lot of Irish people who still wear the 800 years of British or English oppression on their sleeves. Yeah, of course. And so how Obad, for me, actually, has done a huge amount of healing in that. Mm. Going over to to, to um, the gatherings there and meeting people who are a lot of who are of Irish descent, but who are very, very open. And that has actually healed a gap. So it's around, let's, what, what joins us, what links us? Uh, the love of the landscape, the love of nature, the notion of peace, the notion of sustainability and trying to protect the planet. Mm. They're huge principles. Mm. And then, you know, with the magic that's in, in, in Druidry and the mystery, and you'll have that in any indigenous um, belief system. Yeah. And when enough people engaging in these and having conversations about them, I think the barriers break down. Absolutely. And I think huge healing outside happens. Yeah, um, I think another thing is is that like the the language and the and the storytelling, like like when we share words and you know sort of like a doorway into culture. I know like you're very passionate about about the Irish language and and the 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 Kiwis were so par- passionate about the Maori language. I, I wonder if you could talk about um, you know how how learning a language sort of relates to your relationship with land and storytelling and things like that. Um, do you think that's, well, yeah. You're asking me how language for me. Yeah, okay. I mean, is, is that part of that, that sort of coming into a relationship with a place, like to learn the language of it as well? Um, you know, you've got the, yeah, the trees and the, um, it's just something that I noticed that you're very passionate about is that, you know, learning these, um, <laughs> you know, putting putting Irish in there and, and, and teaching us the correct pronunciation was, you know, um, a really valuable part of, of, of meeting you. Um, and yeah, I, and I love the stories that you tell as well. And, you know, it sort of was like a little window into Irish culture through you, like holding that and, and through the Maori, uh, stories and, and things that the New Zealanders were telling us and the words that they were sharing. It was like, like that. I feel like language and storytelling as well as the trees and the birds and the landscape and the seasons and all of those other things that are, you know, it's quite intuitive. Um, you know, that, that knowledge side of things. Yeah, how important is um, that? The language is really important. Um, I've wa- I, I, I was once fluent because uh, I went to a school in Connemara in a Guelph area where at the time, because this is a long, long time ago, the children didn't even speak English. So I was immersed in it. And then I went, I was in secondary school and I did Irish. It was one of my favourite subjects, that and history. And then I didn't use it once I left school. And then I lost it. And just a few years ago, I just revisited it. And I didn't have a lot of confidence. And um, there happened to be a TV program where they were encouraging towns in Ireland to start using Irish. So there was a competition. They were twinning towns to see who would speak the best Irish. So local people contacted me and asked me, would I do a solstice um, druid ceremony in um, So I said yes. And I did. And they filmed it. But they never used it. Anyway, because I think they were giving the prize to the other town. So they couldn't oh. show too much Irish. <laughs> no. So it gave me um, permission or uh, the little nudge I needed 
to start using Irish. Mm. And then I started and I started for, you know, calling in the four directions and the, the, I do the opening and closing in Irish. The right tends to stay in English. And um, I get more and more excited because as I'm, I found a, um, a Druidry, a dictionary of Druidry, an Irish one. And uh, looking at the layers and layers and layers and layers of meaning in Irish. And what's lovely, the Irish word for Druidry is Driacht. It's also the same word as it is for magic. Oh, oh very interesting. Uh, yeah, and the, uh, the word douche means prize or reward. It also means sorrow and pain. So there's a lot of paradox yeah. in the Irish language. Wow. Uh, so, uh, you know, th that paradox, mystery, magic, and that's all about druidry. So it's actually embedded within the language itself. I'm also uh, fascinated with Irish place names because uh, in the, the 19th century, the English translated all the place names in Irish. So they did a lot of it phonetically or uh, changed it completely. Mm. So it's not until you actually read it in Irish that you know, ah, this is the place of the silver wood. This is the place of the birch trees. This is the place of the magic list, the fairy fort. The, yeah. This is the, it's called Kishkeem and Kerry means nothing and you read it in Irish Kosh came the Kali the footsteps of the Kaliuk. oh wow oh. so it gives you an idea so Billa for example is a word it means um, this sacred tree we had five Billa three of them were ash trees one was a local one was a yew that goes back back into mythology but there are places in Ireland called um, Rathvilly Moville Movilly, and that means Rath is the Rath of the Villa sacred trees so there are even place names where there were sacred trees the plain of the sacred trees wow and if you don't know the Irish, you're missing magic in the landscape so um yeah that's that's why i'm so passionate about it and if you pronounce it properly this is why i get with uh because we have accents um on words if the accent will determine the meaning of the word yeah so F-E-A-R is far, means man. F-E with an accent on it, A-R is fair, which means grass. So um, so that's why I'm passionate about it. I mean, I've been teasing people at, um, at the Droid Gorset that, you know, what am I going to do as chosen chief that everybody's going to have to learn Irish? No, that's a joke. Because um, <laughs> it's quite a challenging language. But what strikes me also is... Um, it's happened to me a few times in Glastonbury where I've been speaking in Irish in a ritual and people will come up and say, I had no idea what you were saying. The hair was standing in the back of my neck. Mm, yeah. I get, I get the same feeling with Welsh when it's spoken by a Welsh speaker. Yeah. I'm tingling, not knowing what it means, but I can, I can feel the magic of it in a ritual. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have so, a friend, Sal, who um, is Aboriginal and she once it was at a, a witch camp, so it wasn't a Druidry gathering, but they still called the quarters. And she um, called in air in her native language, and it was so powerful. Yeah, the same sort of experience, just that, that tingles. It's like, yeah, I feel like it's like, like the land kind of knows that those words have been spoken nearby, at least. <laughs> you get the local language, and it's, it's like it's singing still in the stones somehow. Mm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the stories too. Like I, I've um, I've been looking at the Toyn a little bit lately, and how that's so much about a very specific landscape. So, sort of in Druidry, like especially displaced Druidry, where we're not in the places where those stories come from. Um, you know, like there's certain parts of it that we can never really connect with here unless unless we go on a pilgrimage. And, and go and see those places. Um, and even, you know, people that live a lot closer might need to go on that pilgrimage too. Um, but, uh, you know, for us, we also need to learn about our local stories because they are about the landscape. And, yeah, like the story tells you so much about the land. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and hearing those stories in New Zealand was amazing too. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so yeah, do you, do you think you are going to, like, I mean, you, you say like learning the, the language, um, you know, you make a joke about that, like us all learning Irish if you, when you become chosen chief, but I kind of feel like that's kind of good. I, I wouldn't mind learning more. <laughs> do you think you will tell you, it will be Sorry? certainly by choice. It will certainly yeah. be a choice. Right. And encouraging. Um, it's interesting in Ireland. The, the language was banned by um, when English rule was here, yeah. and English we did have education. Um, we had it had to be through English, and like my grandparents never spoke Irish. They didn't have it. So there was a whole generation that didn't get any Irish. Mm. And then um, with independence and all of that, then there was the we had a um, a Gaelic revival, and that wasn't just the Irish language. It was all, all sorts of Irish sport, um, oh. literature, the whole lot, and um, and folklore. So there were a lot of people. Mm. Uh, I suppose at the beginning, well, at the end of the 19th century into the beginning of the 20th century, really, really passionate about folklore, language, etc. Mm. So after independence, then in primary schools. Um, but I think w- what happened was that there was such a, a drive to revive the Irish language and do it properly that grammar was beaten into every child. And either if you if you had a facility for language, you could enjoy it. I loved Irish, so it was no issue for me. But for a lot of people, they're almost scarred by it because of the way it was taught, unfortunately. Yeah, right. so, uh, that, so even when I had my rituals here in, in Three Castles, um, People who are not Irish never, ever complain about me using Irish. But you get the odd one Irish. Can you please not do that? Because I don't know what you mean. It's Can you not translate into English? And I go, you're Irish. Yeah, but I had a hard time in school. And they kind of still hold a scar and pain around the Irish language. Right. So then some people will only speak it when they're overseas so that nobody will understand them, which I think is a pity. It's like, why not speak it here? Yeah. But there is, there is now an interest. It's getting... so. Because of the history of, you know, this was beaten into us and we had to speak it properly. Now they're trying to change the emphasis. Just speak it. And if you haven't got the Irish word, put in an English word. But just start. Allow the flow. So it would be a choice if anyone wants to learn. So, I mean, I've started, you know, doing the Druid's Prayer in Irish and opening the the four quarters, calling for peace in Irish. Um so if people want that, I'm happy to do that and teach the phonetics. Yeah, well, you you have that online somewhere, don't you? Is that you've made videos? I've seen them here and there. I think it's on my website. Okay. And if it's not, I want you to let me know and tell me what you want, and then I'll okay. And I know that people can find your website by simply googling Ema Burke. <laughs> so, but it's KilkennyDrewDrew.com, isn't it? It's that's right. Yeah. 
Great, yeah, because there's yeah lots of in information on there. That sounds fantastic. Um, so, yeah, like do you, do you find that people are learning the language more from from um, doing it over and over again in ritual? Because I, I really felt like that was what happened to us in New Zealand. Like I went in and they like at the porphyry, the the welcome ceremony, everything was blah blah blah. I, you know, I didn't know any of it. But by the end, I was I was like, oh, those are trees, and that's a deity, and that's a you know, I I could pick up parts of it. So yeah, it's like I'm you, the same. Mm. I, I, exactly the same for me because I could the the, the at the Bahutukawa, it took me a long time and Papa Nuatuku, that's the Mother Earth. Papa Tuanuku. Yeah. Yeah. Wrong That's right. So and, yeah, I didn't learn. Right. And then some yeah. of the place names were the same. And I'm, I'm pleased I remember too. Yeah. <laughs> Mother Earth. Well done. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's that familiarity with it. And yeah. also, um, Maori has a beautiful musicality, as, as does Irish. So it sometimes just makes it easier if you can hear the music in the in the word, it gets easier. Um, and even in Ireland now, people are getting, they have these pop-up Gaelthuks. You know, uh, Gaelthuk, this area is a place where people uh, speak it traditionally. Sorry, what's that, a Gaelthuk? A, a Gaelthuk is, um, you have them in Connemara, Kerry, Donegal, a little bit down in Waterford and someplace in Louth. It's a, a Gaelthuk is area is a place where Irish is spoken oh, as right. the mother tongue. Right, right, okay. So people have been creating these pop-up Gaelthugs. So for a night in this pub or in this place, this is a Gaelthug. We will great. speak Irish. Wow. I haven't yet. But, and then there are people now writing books. There's a one very uh, funny one called Mother Fucklore. Uh, <laughs> Fuckle is the Irish word uh, for word. And oh, Fucklore right. is dictionary. Yeah. So it's saying on the word Mother Fucklore. So a mother dictionary. <laughs> great. But... It's a very Barack O'Shea, and he he, um, he he does it in a very humorous way. And you go, oh, I really like this. So he's actually um, making it more interesting now for people. And I think he's the second book come out. And then we have another called Malcolm McGann, who goes around talking about Irish. And he has um, these, what he calls Tamagotchi Irish. I couldn't go to it. Where there's this ritual, and you go in, and he gives you an archaic word that you become the guardian of. Oh, okay. And by being part of an ancient word is you use it and you bring it back into into usage again. Wow, that's great. So just giving them to different people and then they can spread yeah. them all individually. That's a great idea. Right, that's right. Fantastic. Isn't it? And it's fun. Mm. You know, it's done through fun. Um, so that's kind of stuff uh because it's essentially it's in one of our official languages and it's also an official EU language. Yeah. Though we don't speak it. Like the Maori, I thought every Maori would speak Maori. They don't. Yeah. Um, you know, it's but it's coming back because they uh, we went to Moira. She took us to a Marae and we went to a preschool. They have primary schools and then say people like Isa went to um, I can't remember the name, but an Irish medium school, a Maori medium school. Yeah. Um, that's that's growing and it's the same here in Ireland so when it becomes fun and there's a passion about it rather than a zealousness about it yeah that it's there for fun and expression and an expression of who we are and the landscape we have um we have a, a proverb in Ireland in Irish called cheer gone changa cheer gone anum a country without a language is a country without a soul Ooh. 
Interesting. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really many... interesting and thinking about it from the Aboriginal perspective in Australia as well, because, because Aboriginal languages are, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. It, we can't create a sort of like national curriculum, um, like they might have with Maori or with, with I mean, I know Irish no, yeah. has lots of different dialects, but you have that sort of common Irish, I don't know what you call it. Yeah. Um, but, but that at least, you know, can fit into a school system. I mean, I know that has its problems, um, but yeah, here it's it's like you've you, we've got to find our local language, and then we might not ever, you know, it's really hard to find someone else that speaks it. But yeah, it does help with the yeah learning place names, and and I think yeah, just on that sort of spiritual level of like for us, like to learn to talk to the landscape a little bit, and and yeah, like through relationships, yeah, meeting people that can let us know whether that's appropriate or not, and yeah, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, I really hope that we see some of some more developments like Ireland um, and um, New Zealand have with that that reawakening of the like the native languages. It would be there's so much that we need to do in Australia to make it better. And there's just amazing things happening in the world like that. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, the place names around wherever you're living, if you know a bit of the local language, then it deepens your understanding of the place and why it was called that. Yeah, where I live is, is Katoomba, and it means the place of many waterfalls. There's... And are there many waterfalls? There are so many waterfalls, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's great. And then, yeah, it's beautiful, Katoomba, very yeah. nice. It's like the sound of the waterfalling, apparently. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, like all sorts of places. It would be, yeah, just fascinating to find out more about it because it's like a window, like, yeah, like you're saying, like not just to, um, but it's like, like we almost need to know more than, like I would like to learn Irish for the Irish heritage I have or I would like to learn Welsh as well for that part of my heritage and, and maybe even like old English or you know, there's, but, but also um, wanting to know the local language here. It's like there, there's so many to choose from in a way, like it's, it can be yeah. difficult. Um, yeah. What, what do you think we do with that? Like, should we be learning the, the language of our ancestors or the language of the land? Like it's very easy if you're living in a place like Ireland where it's both, <laughs> you know. Well, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I'm, we're speaking modern, modern Irish. Uh, I don't speak old. Nobody speaks old Irish. Um, the best in an old Middle Irish way, Middle Irish. Um, but we don't know what they sounded like. We can imagine that this it's a variation. But it's like we say, if Shakespeare joined us in the conversation, we probably wouldn't understand him. Yeah, of course. Uh, so... I don't, know, I don't know if this was Old English or where it was, or Middle English. Mm. I'm not too sure. So a language evolves, and um, it's like Druidry revolve, or it revolves, evolves. If we get stuck into exactly how it was in ancient times, yeah. we then fossilize absolutely everything, and then we, I suppose, begin to smack of being fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't know. For example, I don't know how Old Irish was sounded. I can just go with how I speak Irish now and do my best because it's as valid as languages that have gone by. 
There is a reason why languages evolve. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what. You know, we've all evolved. Our worldviews have, have evolved. Um, customs and culture has evolved. It's not static. So, uh, and it's the same with Druidry. So, um, I think it's about working with a language that resonates with you. If it resonates with you, mm. uh, I suppose through your ear, but then it, it, it resonates with your soul. So, you may decide that you only want to learn the language of your local landscape or you want to learn other languages if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're able to mm. and there's no shoulds it's whatever because res- if it resonates with you then you have an ease then it just happens organically that you begin to absorb language and learn it mm. yeah it's almost like we could we could almost use parts of each of them for different parts of the ritual even like maybe welcome the land or or acknowledge the land in the local language and then acknowledge our ancestors through their own languages or yeah sort of have a diverse understanding of how language connects us with different things yeah it's fascinating Mm. well yeah i mean and there's some languages that have developed like patois i've not heard of that one no no a patois is a is is, um it's 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 a word used to describe a mixture of languages Oh, uh, like right. Creole, for example. Oh, okay. So, uh, in in West Africa or in the Caribbean, some people speak Creole, which is a mixture of French and a local language, or English and a local language. Right. That they the mixture um, Swahili, for example. I've lived in Kenya and Tanzania. That is a language that contains Bantu words. It contains a lot of Arabic. And it evolved, I mean, it's in East Africa, in its purer form of spoken in Tanzania. And then, in, what did I say, it was born in Tanzania, got sick in Kenya, died in Uganda, got buried in the Congo. But sorry, that's but it, that's a language that is a, a, a mixture of many languages. Yeah, interesting. It's almost like we each create our own one <laughs> through our own interests and the exactly. land that we live in and... Yeah, it's sort of like in what's South your, Africa, what's your ritual language? Hmm. That's right. I, I lived in Lesotho for three years um, in the late eighties, early nineties, and in South Africa, I think the miners spoke in that language called Fanagalo. It was a mixture because there were miners coming from all over Southern Africa, so Malawi, Zimbabwe, Zambia, uh, South Africans people from Swaziland and Lesotho, so they spoke this common language yeah. that was a patois of all their... So so maybe there might be in Australia... Um, you do speak Druid. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah. Druid. Australian Druid. Idea. Yeah. What's your, <laughs> what's your local Druid language? Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. I love that idea that we can imagine different languages for all the all the Druids around the world doing it in slightly different ways because of the different influences where they live. It's fascinating. Yes. But, yeah, I'm also interested about just generally how you're feeling about moving into this very important role, you know, and, um, you know, what's what's it been like being a chosen chief in training? Uh, Initially, um, well, when Philip... And Stephanie asked me, it was in Italy in um, 2017. Um, we had been at um, the Obot 
seminar that the Italian one, and we were in um, in Ubud, Daniela City, in her on her terrazza in in Rome, and uh, they just we were having teas. It's come on at the balcony, we'd have tea, and then they said we'd like to invite you to be just and I and I felt kind of weak and thought this is mad and <laughs> I'm imagining this. this is a dream because it, I yeah it, I never thought about it. It never occurred to me. I mean, many of us have fantasies about being famous stars and all sorts of writers and everything. It never, ever entered my head. And had it been advertised, I'd never have gone for it because it was not something I wanted. Right. And um, Why so did you quite, want it? And then I asked. Oh, you mean you just, what, it just hadn't, didn't have your mind why would on it? Anyone, why would anyone want it? I know. I, I'm yeah. not ambitious like that. It never even occurred to me. Yeah. And... Uh, so I kept saying, why? And then why didn't you choose other people? And I said, why me? And he said, because, um, well, they've been watching me, which is really scary when I think about it. Because <laughs> um, I'm Irish. Because I'm a psychologist. Yeah. As Philip is. Um, as my people skills, I'm well known in in. In, in, in Glastonbury or in, in Obad there. Um, like I go I go four times a year to the UK mm. to be to an Obad event. Right. So, uh, and I was doing that. Once I started going to the gatherings, I started doing that. Mm. Um, we share kind of a similarly satiric view, perspective, and also our connection, our common connection with Olivia Robertson, who was one of... Um, Philip's teachers. She's one of the co-founders of the Fellowship of Isis, and I'm a, I'm a priestess in the Fellowship of Isis, and I knew Olivia. I didn't know for long, and you were quite well for her last few years. She used to come to Three Castles a lot. Mm. And Philip lived in Huntington Castle when he was 19 for about a year. So I think they were the... I still didn't think they were good enough reasons, but anyway. And then um, I had to keep it quiet, because I think... A few people knew they had consulted a few people, but it had to stay quiet until we announced it last June. Right. And I had to go home and Howard, my husband, wasn't there because he's, he's passed over. So he would be my, normally my go-to person to talk to. Yeah. And I know he he would have said, well, I did talk to him, but I'd go for it. But had he been alive, I would have said much quicker, yeah, yeah, I can do this because he'll be with me. Yeah. Um. So I had to think about well, if I was offered such and such, I was comparing other things if I was offered. And those things all said, no, no, no. This didn't say no, no, no. It didn't say yes, yes, yes. I've been dreaming for this all my life. I've always wanted it. This is, you know. Yeah. I thought, okay, it hasn't, I'm not, it, my gut doesn't say no. So I've been asked to do it and I'll do it. Yeah, and I'm happy to do it. Yeah. You know, I'm not, uh, isn't, I'm not being martyrish about it. It was just to get used to the idea. So, yeah, I'm now in a very strong place um, about it. You know, you kind of go through phases of imposter syndrome and... Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, they think I'm going to... And Philip, when he, when he took over, oh, well, it was a very small group. There might have been 10 or 20 people. Yeah, right. I'm getting a big baby that's over 20,000 people? people. How many is it? Oh, over 20,000. Wow, yeah. And all over the world. We have members, obviously Southern Hemisphere, North South America, Europe, Near East, Far East, as far as Japan, we have people in Africa. Wow. 
Wow. So actually, I'm not sure of anyone from Antarctica or, or, or the yeah. Arctic, <laughs> but it's it's a global global order. And that is really, really interesting. All the continents, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, it's fascinating. So so what have you been learning in the process of the changeover? The you know, because it's been a bit of a Well a lot of it is a lot of it is about the history of the order. Oh. And that's really you know kind of and it's kind of important to know that. Um, you know, what are the what were the building blocks, what were the foundations, you know, learning about Ross Nichols, learning about how it's grown, having had to go over them, read um, the annual reports. And it's really, really interesting. Oh, that explains that. Now I know why this is this. That, yeah. Um, so, yeah, getting your body yeah, just history to, to, in there, really. Yeah. And finding my bearings within the order. Yeah. That's been really, really important. Mm. Uh, so I think mostly it's that, and um, and the rest is a secret. <laughs> yeah, right. Fair enough. <laughs> it's okay. I've all my examples. We all want to know, but that's all right. We'll respect that. <laughs> it, the, the, I suppose it's not that I go for classes, you know. Yeah. And I have to write essays. No, no. But it's conversations. So now I'm included in conversations about things that happen. Right. And ask for my point of view, mm. those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I, it's 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 there. Both Philip and Stephanie are there for to answer any of my questions, that kind of thing. Mm. So it's that. It's, so yeah, right. Yeah. You can't tell me secret things. It takes away my question. I'm teasing you about that. <laughs> it's it's it. <laughs> this is an exclusive interview. You're getting it. It's okay. <laughs> it's like you know, Philip was asked to the the order was kind of in hibernation for a while, for a number of years after Ross Nichols died, and yes, then, yeah. and I think this is on the website. You know, a knock came at the door one night, and um, three people says, "We want you to." the chosen chief of the order. And at the same time, Nguyen had contacted Philip and asked him to write the course because he Ross had been the main teacher, the only teacher in Obot. Yeah. So he wanted Philip to make a distance course. Mm. And that was so, a dream, right? It like, yeah. came to him in a dream, yeah. So Philip didn't have a training. Mm. He was just, knock on the door, there you are. It's now do it. Bits of paper, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So my coming into this is a very, very different experience. And I suppose it's it's not so much the things I have to learn, but giving me time and also the order and members time to adjust to the transition. Mm. It's, Philip is an amazing leader. He is an incredibly hard act to follow. Uh, where we may share similarities, temperamentally we're very, very different. And um, it's about easing into the notion of, for me to in, to get used to the idea and for the members to get used to it and to kind of gradually feel my way into it so that when I take over in 2020, that I'm not in shock. Well, less shock, you know, it's, and I think that's what it's about. It's, it, it's gaining familiarity with the order and its history and its story. Mm. I think that it's, it's a bit like if you go to a new place 
you might get a little a, a little brochure on the history of the place, but you need to walk around the land and find your your bearings yourself. So I sent essentially this is what this training is. Mm. It's about me finding. Yeah, so like yeah, looking at the history is fascinating, and knowing like oh well that that little part arrived at that point, and yeah, I've I've recently um, been lent um, a copy of of the first version of the Bardic Works to have a look at. So that's really oh, interesting. Yeah, just just borrowed it off somebody, and um, yeah, just having a look, just to just sort of see where we've come from and and you know how things have changed. I think that's fascinating. So yeah, it must it oh must, absolutely it must be fascinating knowing more about the the history and being being able to ask Philip, you know, whenever you want, just you know, <laughs> tell me tell me all this stuff. That's yeah. exactly, and 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 knowing and it's still. There are layers and layers to the story because, you know, it's 50 years. Yeah. So um, I suppose questions will emerge as time goes on, questions that I'm not even thinking of at the moment. But, mm. but he's there to, to offer that. And then, you know, you can find the annual reports um, on the website. Oh, really? Okay. They're there. And um, it's interesting to see because what, what, what what's in them, he used to, he doesn't do so much now, is... Um, in the, he would include what's going on in Druidry outside of Obod. Right, right, fantastic. I didn't know that was there. That was from a history yeah. researcher type perspective. That's fascinating. No, it's not 50 years of annual reports. I can't remember when they started. Right. Uh, the early 90s, I think. Mm. But still, and I think very interesting reading up. Oh, I'd forgotten. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. I found it really, really. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it must be fascinating. Yeah, so, so when is the official changeover? 2020, June, at the summer gathering. Yeah. There's going to be a big big celebration. It's probably a four or five day um, gathering. Normally it's two. And like for the 50th, we had a four day. And um, so and there will be a lot of events at it, you know, in addition to. So the Mount Hemus, which is normally a separate event, will be on. It, 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 it's due to be in 19, held in 2020 anyway. So that will be held in Glastonbury and be lots of workshops and stuff. Wow, wonderful. And, and, and that's usually around the beginning of June, isn't it, sometime there? Is it, right? Yeah, it would be, the, I think, the first weekend of June. Right. Um, well, we might all have to try and get there. <laughs> Pilgrimage <Yeah>. time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think um, it's, it's actually a good opportunity for people who are so far away can make it, you know, a trip. You know, that's a justifiable trip. Yeah, I think it'll it's um it'll be the first weekend, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth type of thing of June. Yeah, that kind no of thing. worries. I'm sure people can find out on the the Obod website if they're looking for more information yeah. anyway. So, yeah, long long time till that's all official anyway. How exciting! Will be mm. yeah, and and is Philip going to have a role still within Obod and just stepping down from that chosen chief position, or is he? Chief. I mean, the office is in his house, of course. and yeah. Um, so yeah, he will still be involved, but not as chosen chief. Right. I will, uh, as, right. <laughs> uh, as my advisor, or as it's like, eventually, you know, when I step down, then so Philip is an elder, will be an elder, and I will be an elder, and then there'll be 
chosen person. And is there a plan that you'll only hold the role for a certain amount of time? Is that is that? Yeah, the plan? I've chosen between seven and nine years. Right. Okay. Great. So if if I if I decide, you know, I, I'm only going to do seven, then at year five I would have chosen a successor, mm -hmm. and if I decide I'm going to do year nine at seven years, I'd have chosen. So to have that succession plan in place, assuming and I, you know, that assuming that I don't have to step down suddenly or whatever it is. Of course, yeah. 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 Wonderful. So that's exciting. Seven years to yep. to put a bit of an Irish stamp on Ovod. Because you've said you've said before that you would really like to see more sort of um well involvement from other parts of the world or things like that. So that's maybe right. I'm... It's it's not about it's not about taking anything away. No, of course. Um, and that's what's really really important. It's about adding to. Yes. The, you made the point that you know you're looking at the old bardic, the old bardic course, and that has changed, I think, considerably. So things have been taken out of that. But you are curious enough to want to go back and have a look and see what was there before. Mm. And there are a lot of people who are like that and others are not. So when you, I don't want to remove anything. It's, this is an add-on. Yeah. And me, when you look at the Gwers, there's so much in them. But there's also book lists, bibliographies. And I've read way, way, way beyond what was in the, in the actual Gwers, simply because that's what I'm interested in. Yes. So... Um, people will have various things that they are really, really passionate about and some things they're not. Mm. So it's around adding something. So if people are interested in the Irish language and if they're interested in the Irish stories, then that's there for them. Mm. But they don't replace what's already there. No, it's almost like you're giving an example of how, you know, and the diversity, I suppose, as well, that people could look at Welsh or Scottish or uh, Maori or Aboriginal or, yeah. That, that, that's exactly it. So that it's 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 there for those who want them. There is the core course, the core course, which is really really important. And then, as you know, there are supplementary course. Yeah. But it'll be more, and it's so that people are. It, it's there for those who want it. Yes, it's exciting. I'm excited to see what happens. Good. How things change <laughs> and evolve. And I think the one the one main difference between the the old Bardic course and the new one is the size. Or the the amount of information in them, so yeah, like just sort of adding to the depth of them and the the, there's, the yeah, full there's the fullness more. of those ideas. Yeah, it's exciting. What you're saying is there's more in the new in the new yes, bardic works. Yeah. yeah, they've been they've been. They, I mean, I've only looked at them at a glance. I haven't gone into much depth. I only just got them this week. But just at a glance, they seem to to have a lot more. Like you say, references and and further reading suggestions and and a little little bit more history and and just sort of like just been tweaked here and there to to explain a little bit more detail and and or to suggest a little extra something and um yeah it's sort of just adding to the richness of them it's not really taking anything away or or really adding anything in necessarily it's just sort of um fortifying it I think so yeah just each. Each layer that we move through just adds a little bit, um, a bit more strength, I suppose. Aboriginal culture always talks about strength. It's kind of like the same sort of thing, having a strong like culture. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yes. <laughs> like that notion of adding layers adds strength. Hmm. You know, I, I like that notion of um, reinforcing by having extra things that are of value. I suppose not rubbish, but of value can hmm. and strengthen you. And, and history does. And yeah, I like that idea. It's like, yeah, if you have like a paragraph and you're like, well, that word, maybe we could take out that word and add this word. And that would just like clarify what's being said there. Like, it's not really changing anything. It's just like, that makes it just a little bit stronger. Yeah. You know, it's just that it, that's the kind of vibe that I felt in what the changes that have occurred have happened. And that's something that you, you can kind of keep continuing to do, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and inspiring people to feel more confident about that language and storytelling and connecting with different locations and things. I think, like, you know, after seeing New Zealand and, and hearing about your experiences with Ireland, that sounds so fascinating um, Yeah, and exciting for us in Australia to think that we can do that sort of stuff and be inspired by other countries that are doing those things too. Yeah. Well, you've already started that yourself anyway. Yeah, well, there's a long way to go, I think, so... Yeah, there's a long but you're you're you know the fact that you've written a book on Australian druidry you're curious you're hungry yeah. and it's coming from a place deep within your heart and maybe from a place of pain you know wanting to reach out you know a longing for that connection yeah and then you are very reflective and considerate about all the issues involved in this and how how you might navigate your way um with it, not through it or against it, but along with this. And I think that's lovely. Yeah, I think, yeah, we, we, there's so much that we can learn from other other druids around the world that are doing it in their own landscapes in different ways. Like, of course, everywhere has different relationships with the land and with the, the cultures of those places. And, um, you know, and we have our, our issues that need to be worked through at a sort of government level and, and you know, but but there's still that that human relationship level that you can you know find out about stories and language and and you make friends you know and that's that's beautiful um, and and learning from people when in other parts of the friends. world yeah, yeah. I, I say like, well, like I've got the tiniest little bit about Aboriginal culture because I didn't feel like I could really say a whole lot on it um, not being Aboriginal but I, I said you know the most important thing is just you know making these personal connections and getting out there and. Um, you know, Absolutely. First hand. Relationship is key. If you have no relationship, mm. I mean, Druidry is all about relationship. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. But your landscape, the seasons, all of that, and it's the same with people. And um, relationships can overcome huge amounts of difference. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, and, and each individual person isn't isn't the whole culture as well. Like like some people will will find like find a, a meeting point with you easier than others and, and be able to understand where you're coming from and, and share things with you. And, yeah, like there's there's so many different perspectives that we can share from as well. And, yeah, there's... It, for me, the analogy I would use is a salad. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to a puree. A puree or a salad. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, 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 it can be like a salad. So you have different textures. You have leaves, you have fruit, you have seeds, nuts, different textures, crunchy bits, soft bits. <laughs> and that's what diversity is about. And yet that um, synthesis creates lovely sensations in your mouth. Or you could choose to have a puree where everything gets lost. 
And people will fight that. So I I prefer the salad metaphor. So each distinct ingredient in the salad stays with its, it doesn't lose its integrity. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's reason, around that. That's a reason why you meet different people. They have all got something different to teach you. That's right. Yeah. So it's not about assimilation. It's about integration. So. It, oh yeah. Or, or just friendship. <laughs> friendship. Yeah. I mean, you when you make a friend, you don't expect them to become you. They. No, they make you. They maintain their individuality, and you you have a friendship, a relationship. So yeah. 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 Well. Yep, I think there's a lot for us to learn. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up there. I think um we've had a wonderful chat. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely to have a chat with you and talk about all those things and, and um and hear you be so passionate about um all of those things and, and to hear what your, your story is like coming into to OBOD leadership and, and um yeah, what what that's like for you and I, I wish you the best of luck with it all. Um, I hope I can be there in, in June in 2020 oh, yeah. to, to cheer you in. Um, uh, <laughs> but if I can't, I'll, I'll certainly be watching online um, in our lovely online communities to, to see what I can. Because <laughs> it is amazing that we can connect like this. And So thank you so much for, for the call. And it's been lovely to talk to you, Julie. Yes, you Absolutely. Too. I hope you have a beautiful okay. day. Enjoy. Thank the, you. And you have a good evening. Bye-bye. Lovely. Thank good you night. so much. So that was Ema Burke uh, speaking about our experiences at Shaboda, the Southern Hemisphere OBOD Assembly in 2019 that happened in New Zealand. And uh, if you would like to find more about Ema, uh, you can look at her website, which is www.kilkennydruidry.com. And if you'd like to find out more about OBOD, you can find out about them at druidry.org, O-R-G. And if you'd like to find out more about my book, uh, that's Australian Druidry, Connecting with the Sacred Landscape. And you can find that on all of the online retailers or you can ask your local bookshop. So I hope you enjoyed that talk. And the next one I have coming up for you is a similar discussion with Philip Cargom about his experiences in New Zealand and with the the changeover of of the chosen chief role. So I hope you'll enjoy that one too. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.